You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on Move-In Weekend at Mississippi State. I'll be moving the youngest into the dorm tomorrow. Be officially an empty nester. Matter of fact, uh, the wife and I are going to take the weekend to celebrate. Not that we don't love the kids, but this is an exciting phase in our lives. Very, very close to... uh, Finalizing some things construction-wise for the new business. We'll have some social media stuff set up for you soon. And uh, we've agreed to terms on a lease. People are like, Steve, where is it? Just wait. But anyway, it's uh, it's been a long process, taking a lot of my time between writing a book, trying to get this business off the ground. It's been a very, very busy summer. If you hadn't pre-ordered the book, you can do so at whenthebottomfalls.com, W-H-E-N, thebottomfalls.com. All the sports books are there, too, and uh, you can grab them. But, uh, yeah, it's move-in weekend. Had some rain today for the first time uh, in a couple weeks. Happy for Robbie Falk as he's out there uh, watering his uh, new side at his new crib. Happy for Robbie. I texted him and said, hey, congratulations on getting a day off from watering the side. But, uh, yeah, we're all kind of, you know, it's football season now. And, uh, you know, about a month from now, we'll be talking about games. about that? Four weeks from today, be previewing Mississippi State and Southeastern. That's pretty cool, right? It absolutely is. Uh, but nevertheless, move in weekend which means that uh, school is just around the corner. High school around here has already started. I don't know if this is a good thing. You know, I guess we'll see. I don't know. I'm glad that my kids are no longer in uh, grade school because uh, I don't know. Thankfully, you know, my oldest has been driving for the last couple of years, but, uh, man, it just seems like we're taking more and more away from the kids. I don't know. Maybe your kids don't need to be home for three straight months. I, you know, mine are good. But nevertheless, it's tough. But, yeah, moving a weekend, we'll get him, get him settled, and then I'll hit the road to Tennessee for a couple days, and uh, we'll be back. We'll have full coverage of practice throughout the weekend over at jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, 
You should be. You just missed out on a 75% off flash sale. However, you can still get 60% off the annual subscription now. So work on that and uh, get that rolling for yourself. But here we go. It's the weekend. I hope it's a payday for you. Hope that uh, you're able to get out and go do some cool things. If you got kids heading off to school, maybe you got to do some shopping this weekend. Encourage you to get out and go do that in Starkville if you can. You can find the uh, best Mississippi State gear, of course, near the source right here in Stark Vegas. Uh, appreciate everybody's support of the show. and want to tell you again that uh, the Jeans Page special, 60% off, uh, running now. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I think about eating there just about every day. I don't eat there every day, but I think about it. I do eat there a lot. What's so interesting is some of you guys will walk in and you see me and you think that I just work there or something. I don't, but I could. I would. Matter of fact, the youngest on his way there now. So if you're going to have Bulldog Burger Company tonight for dinner, good chance that uh, he'll be involved in that process. Go by and have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. I don't know what I'm going to get next time. I really don't. Uh, maybe I get the Pimentology Edge Ed Bacon. Maybe I get the Bulldog. You can't go wrong with the Bulldog. Like, even if you don't have exotic tastes like I do, you can't go wrong with a good American rock and roll hamburger like the Bulldog. And you get that specialized bun, too, for Bulldog Burger Company. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Get that chocolate shake to go. Ride that ride home with a smile. Available at all three locations. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Reminder, too, there will be some more tap takeovers uh, here in the weeks to come. And I uh, had one in Starville. With, they've had one, I believe, at every location now. But uh, some things like that, some live music at times in Tupelo. Uh, so if you're looking to perform in Tupelo, maybe you that you're uh, a musician, you just want to get out there and play a little bit and have a good time, reach out to the fine folks at the Eat With Us group. Maybe perhaps they'll, uh, they'll book you. I don't know. We'll see. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk a little bit about football practice. We've got a lot to cover today. We may jump around a little bit. I have no idea how long we're going to go. We'll just see. We'll play it by ear. It's Friday, and again, i, I got a busy weekend. But um, football practice, we got to see the last 20 minutes. They informed us yesterday they're moving the media viewing time to the last 20 minutes, and immediately everybody freaks out. Let me tell you this on behalf of everybody in the media. This is a better arrangement for us. You say, but Steve, well, we only get 20 minutes, right? So if we got the first 20 minutes, we're going to go up there and watch guys stretch and do side straddle hops and do positional drills, and we're not going to see a whole lot. And then we're going to have to hang around for a couple of hours or go get something to eat and then come back and do interviews. It's not that it's a difficult job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of work. It's very labor intensive and you're never off the clock. So I'm not complaining about that. But we show up for the final 20 minutes of practice. We get to see them do some team drills. And then we get to see some of the young guys kind of get out there and do some things. There is a period at the end of practice where it's the young guys. We got to see you know, Chris Parson threw the football around a little bit today. Got to see Isaac Smith play some today. And uh, expected Isaac Smith to run with the varsity. I, take, I think there's a good chance he's going to start. Uh, I do. Sometimes we forget about that because, you know, he, he missed the spring. But uh, there's just a different element to a guy like that. He just, that's just a guy that's naturally talented, a guy that understands football. So 
But um, so we get that 20 minutes and then we get interviews. Today we only got Zach Arnett, which is, you know, appropriate. And Zach, I'll be honest with you guys. One of the things that I like the most about Zach Arnett, he is very much no nonsense. He's not going to coach speak you. If you ask a stupid question, chances are he's going to tell you without telling you. That happened a couple times today. You know, I know sometimes people just kind of, you know, throw a throw a um, you know morsel out there and just try to get him to talk about whatever. You know, they just may need a quote for an article or something. You know. Um, you know, it's just kind of like some of the questions that Mike Leach got asked at times, and really before he got here to Mississippi State, I think our media does a pretty good job with that, asking questions that are pertinent that you guys want answers to. Uh, but it's just like the whole deal when we beat LSU in 2020. Somebody asked Leach, Coach, what a great day for you. Well, yeah, it's better than average. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some silliness. And a lot of it times, too, is people just, again, just wanting the coach to talk about certain topics and hear what he's thinking. But uh, – Arnett, very, very, very no nonsense. And, um, you know, somebody asked about what's it like having Jet Johnson out there? What better an alternative? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, somebody else asked about, uh, you know, granted it's the first day of practice, what do you think about Isaac Smith? Well, like you said, it's too early to tell anything. It's first day of practice. But I asked him about the South Farm, right? That's – I'm going to be honest with you, like – I've had mixed feelings about the South Farm before. So, and maybe some of that is because, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if that was the right way to go. Now, when Mullen did it in the beginning, it's like, well, hey, this is a shakeup, man. This is a great thing. And we're getting the guys away from here. When Moorhead got here, he's like, I don't think we need to go to the South Farm. You know, we got this wonderful facility here that we paid all this money for. You know, so perhaps let's use the practice facility. And the thing about it is, is like when Mullen did it in the beginning, everybody's like, oh, this is ingenious. Well, after the last few years, people were like, man, this is a waste of everybody's time. Familiarity breeds contempt. So it made sense when Joe said, oh, you know, we got a good practice field here. You know, we got a series of practice fields here, so maybe perhaps uh, we'll utilize the practice fields. But I think we also lost a little something there. Uh, Leach never took the guys to the South Farm. And that's not to say that we weren't a tough football team. But I think there is, as Arnett said, I think it's kind of a rite of passage. You know, he said talking to some of the former players, they mentioned that. And uh, let's go directly to the answer there. You know, just kind of asking them, you know, about um, – I asked him, you know, but what's, what is your thought process of bringing the guys back, you know, to the South Farm, you know? And, um, you know, and he spoke about it. You know, he said, hey, you know, the, the bottom line is this. I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of former players over the last eight months. What they remember most, they never talk about the light easy days. You're most proud of those tough, grueling camp days you had to get through. That's how you forge and mold the team. South Farm has been a big part of that here in the history of this school. I think it's a rite of passage to be required of every player to come through this program. Guys, I agree. I do. I think when you look back at the Dan Mullen era, we weren't always especially talented. But we were a tough football team. In every aspect, we were a tough football team. We weren't scared to tackle. When we got down in ball games, we didn't give up. And, and there was some of that in the Leach era too. You know, but, and and I, I'm not going to say that we were a finesse football team. 
under Leach, but it was a different scheme. And with us being more of a blue-collar, balanced team that's going to run the football probably 52 to 53% of the time, you better be tough in this league. And so that led me to my follow-up question, which was the final question of the uh, media opportunity today. How do you instill toughness? You know, I think one of the things you do is you recruit toughness. You go out and recruit players that have demonstrated some mental and testicular fortitude. That's who you recruit. Because if they won't bite his puppies, they certainly won't bite his dogs. They'll just lay up on the back porch. You got to go get some people that got a little edge to them. And sometimes you get guys that are tough, but perhaps aren't tough enough. So how do you get them to the standard, right? How do you get them to be as tough as you need to be to compete in the Southeastern Conference? And so I asked him, as a coach, how do you instill toughness in your players? I thought the answer was near perfect. I think other players have a lot better way of accomplishing it than coaches. We can script practice to drills and periods to do, but simply put, if they're not going up against other tough football players, you're not going to improve the toughness of your football team. We've got some tough guys in this program. This school always has. We need those guys to set the standard and bring along the guys who aren't yet to the standard. It's always more beneficial if the players are leading the charge than the coaches. There's a lot more return on your investment that way. The thing that I have learned about... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. A competition. And uh, I have traveled the South extensively throughout my career. I've been to just about every high school in the state of Mississippi at some point. Or either I've seen them play. 
And uh, you see all these little uh, slogans. Everybody has their summer workout shirt. My favorite one says, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And it's true. And that's not just in football. That's in life. And I think about the Dan Mullen years when we would take a bunch of three-star kids and go beat up a bunch of four- and five-star kids because we worked hard. Zach Arnett has had to work for everything in his life. Everything. That's not to say that he was born, you know, in difficult circumstances. He wasn't. But he was an undersized, under-talented student athlete that, uh, you know, won multiple state championships as a baseball player and walked on to a Division I team and earned a scholarship in football. This is a guy that understands the value in hard work. Teams and people that work hard become tough people. When you face adversity, you learn how to overcome adversity. And so you have to make the, this camp, you have to make it challenging. That was one thing about the Dan Mullen era that, uh, you know, we made practice so grueling and demanding at times that the game felt like a break. We were prepared to play football from a physicality standpoint. There were times schematically we weren't, but we were a team that had a reputation that we would come out there and punch you in your mouth. When you look over the years at Mississippi State's greatest teams, greatest coaches, they all prioritize toughness. In this league, you better be tough. I don't care how good your scheme is. I don't care how good your play call is. At some point, you're going to need an individual to out-tough another one. While you may earn the confidence by doing it repetitively in games, you learn the skill set required for that moment in practice. you got to be a good practice player in order to achieve any level of success in the Southeastern Conference. And I know I've made a lot of comparisons between Moen and Arnett today on the show. But I go back to, you remember the line? Remember that? The line when we walked out of Shira before we had Seal? You walk out of Shira and you cross that line? We're not walking anymore. Everything we do is on the hop. The coaches ran. We moved from station to station and period to period. The coaches ran. Everybody ran to the next drill. You know, Mike Leach and those guys didn't waste much time in practice either. You, know, you didn't take a water break. You got your water when you were at the back of the line. That's one thing about the Jim Moorhead era that I'll tell you. The, the practices themselves were not very grueling. And so I think at times we were underprepared. You know, those years, like in 2018, and we all look at that as a missed opportunity, right? Everybody thought, man, you know, if Mullen would have been back in 18, we'd probably win the West and go to Atlanta. I don't know if it's true or not. I know we had a team capable of doing that. But we didn't get it done. And part of that was because of the offensive uh, ineptitude. You know, if we still ran the Mullen scheme with Nick Fitzgerald, you know, we might be uh, honoring that team this year, the five-year anniversary of an SEC West championship. But I can tell you, when Joe was here, we took, we took some water breaks. And, uh, you know, the five-minute water break becomes a 15-minute intermission, right? Because we blow the whistle, and everybody's got to leave their drills and go over there and get some water. And then we sit down, and we got to talk, and we got to take inventory. 
And then we got to ramp it back up. And next thing you know, it's okay. We're back out there, but we're, you know, now we're, you know, we're water sloshed. You know, when, when Leach got here, those guys never stopped running. I mean, it was ridiculous how much we ran in practice. I mean, it, it, ridiculous in a good way. You get out, you go run your route, you run back, you get in line, you get a drink of water, you're back in line. By the time that you're done hydrating yourself, you run another route. Same thing for the DBs. That's just what we did. And so it's good to see, number one, efficient practices continue under our net. And again, this is just the first one. We did have spring practice too, so we got to observe some of that. But also too, we're beginning to see and maybe vision's the wrong word for it. We always talk about how a team takes on the personality of its coach, right? If that old adage rings true for Mississippi State, we're in a pretty good spot. We're in a really good spot. I love the idea of going to South Farm. I love the fact, too, we're out there today. And granted, you know, we get, it's, it's not football yet, as Arnett says. You know, we're kind of preparing to play football kind of preparing to prepare to play football. But his mentality about practice, to me, exudes confidence and will lead to success because we value practice. It's not just what we do. It's not just, you know, part of our schedule. And he made comments about, you know, when you get in, in season, you know, when classes begin – you know, there's certain framework together. But, uh, you know, during camp, uh, you can get out there and really get after it. And we will. And, listen, I'd love to be able to go watch practice all day, every day. I'm very grateful to Mike Leach for allowing us to do that. He allowed you know, un unfettered access up until we got into the last week of camp, kind of leading in the game week. We could go out there and watch all practice. And most of the media didn't. You didn't know that, but they didn't. They would just show up when it's time to do interviews. They didn't observe practice. They didn't pay attention to what was going on. They didn't know how guys did certain days in practice. They just came and did interviews and then went home. And you never knew. So they're, they're and those guys are gone for the most part. But uh, you know, they were they were overjoyed. You know, with with uh, when we got into camp, you know, got into regular season. You know, because you you didn't feel like you're missing anything. I I, I enjoyed having that time because like I like. Number one, I take my camera out there and I shoot all this, these, this artwork, you know, that we use for our website, get some practice photos. But also, too, I like to see what's going on. I like to be able to sit here and speak with you guys intelligently about, hey, here's a guy that had a really good day in practice. Now, we don't have that opportunity anymore. Uh, but let me run down the schedule for you here real quick, just so you guys know. It's going to be a really, really, really busy stretch here is we kind of get things going. Um, and, again, I won't be there uh, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. I'll be back until, uh, until Tuesday. But uh, we will have full coverage. Mike and David, Paul. Uh, Robbie's going to be out of town this weekend, too. But we've got an army of people, so we're going to give you full coverage over there. But uh, So 945 practice on Saturday, 945 practice on Sunday, 945 practice on Monday, and then on Tuesday, that's the – the last 9.45 practice for a bit. Wednesday, it's 2.30. That practice is closed to the media. So no observation period for us that afternoon. And we'll talk to Arnett afterwards. Thursday is an off day. 
And then Friday, August 11th, 945. Saturday at noon, that practice is also closed to the media. That'll probably be the, uh, the scrimmage, you know, first scrimmage. That'll take place at noon, and we'll talk to uh, Coach Arnett and the coordinator. Sunday the 13th, we will get an opportunity to go out there. Uh, practice on that day is at 520. Be a shorter practice. Of course, that's kind of clean up after the, uh, you know, after the, uh, the scrimmage. So they're going to talk to us at noon on Saturday, and then practice will be at 6. So they'll probably preview the scrimmage a little bit. Um, and then we'll talk to um, you know, players on Sunday, just kind of find out. August 14th, it's a Monday. It's an afternoon practice. Only our net available. That practice is also closed to the media. And uh, we're getting ready to get into class here. 15th, you know, practice will be uh, at 335. Thursday, Friday, 335. Saturday, 230. That's closed to the media. Another scrimmage. Uh, Monday, practice is closed. No media availability at all. And then Tuesday the 22nd, practice is closed. Wednesday, practice is closed. Thursday, practice is closed. And then August 25th through 27th, practice is closed. So our last observation period of Mississippi State football practice will be Friday, August the 18th. That's it. So, and you look at it and say, Steve, man, it seems like a lot. No, it's really not. Today is the 4th of August. Guys, we're going to get through uh, Sunday, August 27th. It's going to be game week. 23 days from today. We're going to be transitioning into game week. We'll have our uh, Zach Arnett you know, press conference preview in southeastern Louisiana on Monday, the 28th of August. So 24 days from now, you'll hear Arnett talk about camp on the SEC network, and you'll have everybody else in the conference talking. That's how close we are. We've got a lot of work to do between now and then, as Arnett said today. You know, we're not ready to go play a football game. Neither is anybody else. And you hope that the summer OTAs and things like that, there's some carryover from that. And we asked that question about retention, and it's, you know, you can't tell anything. Yet. And, you know, that's just, you know, the main thing is do guys know where to line up? Do they know their, their responsibilities and that sort of stuff? Uh, but, yeah, there's only so much you can tell one day out there in, in shells just kind of running around. You know, we'll put the pads on here, here pretty soon and get after. This is the acclimation period. And so guys are kind of getting used to kind of getting back out there and getting their legs under them. But uh, it's not like they've just been sitting in the dorm or laying on the beach all summer. Uh, they've been out there working together. And that's a player-led deal. You know, they, they put in some workouts where you know, coaches can somewhat be involved in that aspect of it. But it's not like it used to be, you know. You're getting a lot more good work done in the summer months. And hopefully that pays off for us. But uh, I've said this for you guys many, many times. I, I am still very perplexed. And I had a couple guys in the media ask me today, you know, what's the deal? Why, why is everybody so down on Mississippi State? And I said, I think a lot of it's because some of the pundits out there don't know what they're talking about. I'll give you one example. I, we had a Barnyard listener that shared this with me. I won't mention the name, but um, – we talked about, you know, we're going to be under center some this year. Uh, guys, when I heard that, I said, well, I'm going to go look. I went and watched the Appalachian State game against Coastal Carolina in its entirety. I watched the Appalachian State game against Texas A&M in its entirety. Guys, it's like 5% under center. 
the majority of the time we're in the pistol formation or like in third long, you know, you're in shotgun formation, you know, with a back to, to, to either side. But a lot, a lot more pistol, more of the base formation is the pistol formation. There's a lot of bunch tight ends, and sometimes they'll put the bunch out there and they'll hide a slot receiver in the middle of the bunch. They do some things exotically in this bar base scheme when it comes to formational things. And so, but that's the big thing. Somebody told our boneyard listener who shared it with me, and again, I'm not going to say the name of the guy because I, I don't want some beef. It's hard to watch everybody. It is. But he said the reason that he picked State so low is because of the transition from Will Rogers to shotgun to under center. And so I thought, well, let me just go see for myself. Well, there's not a lot of time under center. And so there's all this long answer. It's like, well, you know, he's got to be under center and feel the snap and get back in his drops and then get his eyes up and read the defense. And that's not what's happening. Basically, the only time that App State went under center is in short yardage or in the red zone. That's it. And the, and the red zone stuff wasn't, you know, they weren't married to that. It's really when they got down like in a first and goal type situation. And they still threw out of it at times. And so it's not going to be this dramatic offensive change that so many people are forecasting. And the reality of it is, is there just simply is an inherent bias. And it's been that way for as long as I can remember. But, you know, the last several years, like even at the end of the Dan Mullen era, you know, it's like, well, you know, these guys, uh, 2010, man, they went down there and pushed Michigan around and they won the Gator Bowl. Well, surely they'll be bad next year. And then Dan Mullen put together this streak of going to bowl games every single year. And it's like, well, yeah, there's no way they can keep it up. It's Mississippi State. But we have 13 straight bowl games now. And then Leach comes in here and everybody's like, well, I don't know how the offense is going to translate to the SEC. And then we go beat the defending national champions in their own backyard. And it wasn't close. The score closer than the game truly was. And then we had some issues. You know, obviously you got the best coaches in the country kind of scheming you up, trying to find a way to slow you down. And also we had a freshman quarterback, second half of 2020, a year that uh, we ended a year with, what, 45 scholarship available players. You know, it's tough. And we still managed to go win a ball game, despite the fact that regular season was just absolutely brutal. And every year, everybody's like, I don't know if Mississippi State's going to make a bowl game. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then, like, last year, I mean, some of the SEC pundits, you know, Ole Miss is going to, you know, finish second and third in the West. Nobody picked us to win that game. In most years, they don't. No matter where the game is played, the SEC media, it's like, I guess they all follow Lane Kiffin on Twitter. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. I can seek my entertainment elsewhere. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think there was any question last year that Mississippi State was better than Ole Miss. Period. Now, the early returns suggested otherwise because State was kind of herky-jerky at times. State played a more difficult schedule. And then as soon as Ole Miss played anybody with a pulse, they started losing ball games. And just as we projected on this show, Long before anybody else joined the bandwagon, the Boneyard listener knew. Mississippi State and Ole Miss were going to end the regular season with the same record and State was going to have the golden egg and get the better bowl game. That is exactly what happened. Exactly. And I don't know who at Ole Miss worked so hard 
to promote that program in the offseason, but there's a lot of people that they've got some people convinced again that Ole Miss is going to be better than Mississippi State. Now, Ole Miss, the only team in the West that didn't get a vote to be first in the West, and the fact that Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss, A&M, any of those teams did, shows you a lot of people just aren't paying attention. Alabama and LSU are the best two teams in the West. And I don't know how you can vote for anybody else with a clear conscience. But all these people are picking Ole Miss ahead of Mississippi State. And you say, well, well why? Probably going to be fairly equal teams. And then the Egg Bowl is going to be played in Starkville. And you look last year at this Ole Miss team, and look at what Arkansas did to them and how teams that could run the football really gave them trouble. Mississippi State's going to run football more. Might run a lot against them. We ran it with success against them last year. Yeah, I ran some numbers yesterday, talking about the running thing, you know, and uh, I included this in an article. And you feel free to use this. Last year, when Mississippi State ran for 90 yards or more, just 90 yards, Mississippi State was 6-0. and Did you know that? Just 90 yards. Every single game that we were 90 yards plus, we won the football game. And a lot of that, too, is because, you know, people are back in coverage. So you're going to face a lot more loaded boxes this year. Schematically, things are going to be a lot different. Did you know that when Mississippi State ran the football 24 or more times last year, the record was 5-1, and one, the one loss is Alabama? Did you know that? That's the thing you're not going to hear on Sirius XM radio because they're not going to do the research. They're just going to, you know, they're just going to shoot from the hip and make you think they're ready. The reality of it is is that, you know, nobody knows for certain what kind of team we're going to have. But if you run the analytics and you look at the numbers and you take kind of go the game within the game, you can say, you know what, this Mississippi State team is a veteran team. Mississippi State has a running back in Woody Marks that is kind of a hidden gem in the Southeastern Conference, and he is going to be a hero in this scheme. But they won't tell you that because they had not done the work. They just look at the schedule and say, you know what? Hey, State went 9-4 and four last year. Really? Yeah, State finished 20th? Well, what's got to be a letdown year this year? Surely they were a senior-laden team last year, right? How did that happen? How did State win nine games last year? We just kind of quietly flew under the radar. And we won nine games. And we beat Arkansas again. We beat Texas A&M again. We beat Auburn again. We beat Ole Miss again. But yet all those teams are picked ahead of us this year. Well, there's no way State can beat them two years in a row. Well, you know, you're wrong about that too. We absolutely can. And, yes, we have to make a road trip to College Station. Yes, we have to make a road trip to Auburn. We do. I'm eager to see what we look like. I mean, and honest, honest to goodness, ask yourself this. Go look at the numbers and, and just put on the game tapes of last year, Right? I am a huge K.J. Jefferson fan, huge, huge. And I'm pulling for that kid, unless it's against us. I'd like to see him have a big year. I'd like to see K.J. get a chance to go play in the National Football League. I don't know if he's accurate enough as a passer to, to command a high draft pick. But if you knew the young man, if you ever spent any time talking to him, you would be a fan of him too. Very down to earth, very excited for him and his family. But he doesn't have a lot around him, right? But you go look at – Compare Mississippi State to Arkansas last year, and you tell me who was the more talented team. 
with or without KJ. We were, I believe we would have won the game even if KJ had played because they were so bad defensively. We probably don't win by the same margin because I know KJ would have done some bigger things on that offense. But I think, you know, we were a little bit better against the run than people gave us credit for. But to watch Mississippi State and Arkansas play last year, there was a huge difference in the talent differential. And there are going to be some Arkansas people listening to my show and say, oh, that's not true. Then why did you go wholesale in the portal? If you weren't talent deficient, why did you have these needs to, to go in the portal and also process some guys off your roster? Why were you so hell-bent on restructuring this team, especially on defense, if you were equally as talented as Mississippi State? The same can be said for Auburn. If you watch that Auburn game, I mean, that, that game is over. I spoke to Wolf Friend about that recently. And he told me they didn't you – know, Will Friend was a play caller for Auburn against that game against us. He said, we just kept running the stuff that we thought would work until they stopped it. The game was over until we threw a bad pick. And we ultimately had to go back and, and win it in overtime. But to watch those two teams play, yes, Auburn kind of played above their heads. They played hard for Cadillac that first game out there because they loved that guy. But when you watch that tape, does Auburn look more talented than Mississippi State? Forget the recruiting rankings. Look at the eye test. When you watch that game, who was the more talented team? Now, Tank Bigsby had a couple big runs, and I'm a, I'm a Tank fan too. I wish Tank the best. But who was the more talented team? And the most, more talented team didn't always win. But Mississippi State was the more talented team than Auburn last year. Now, two years ago, it may have been a different story. You know, we went down there and beat them in 21 too. At their place, biggest comeback in school history. Auburn may have been more talented than us. But Mississippi State was better coached. That's important to understand. Texas A&M on paper should always be more talented than Mississippi State, right? With their resources and the amount of money that they use in NIL, that you know, recruiting rankings would suggest they would always be better than Mississippi State. Always. When you go back and watch that game, as I have, who do you think? looks like the more talented team. That's important to understand too, right? It's not about what it looks like on signing day. It's about what it looks like on game day. And you know, you know Texas A&M has got to be sick and tired. It's like, hey, we're supposed to be on the same level as Alabama. Well, then why do you keep losing to Mississippi State? Anybody got an answer for that? And everybody in the SEC media is like, well, surely, you know, surely. Guys, again, Mississippi State has won five of the last seven against Texas A&M. Five of the last seven. And we probably should have won that game in 2020, even though they were, again, a more talented team. I think we all see it that way. You know, we went down there in 19 to A&M, and Kellen Mond killed us. He did. And give that kid a lot of credit. A&M was really good that year, probably deserved to go to playoff. But five of seven. Five of seven. And since Johnny, Mel, Johnny Manziel has moved on from them, you know, we've went down there and played, what, one, two, three, four times at their place, and we split with them at their place. Excuse me. Let me count here again. One, two, three, four, five. Four times. Four times since he left. 
And uh, we beat them in 15. We lost to them in 17. We beat them in 19. And we beat them in 21. So we split with them at their place. And so it's important, you know, again, we don't get any respect. And, uh, again, it's not about being the more talented team. Of course, people say, yeah, you got to have players. You do. But you got to have motivated players that are willing to work hard to be tough. Because there are a lot of very talented players that are prima donnas, and those guys just aren't going to make it at Mississippi State. They're not. And I think what we're doing practice-wise, uh, Zach Arnett, of course, again, kind of being that under-recruited underappreciated and underrespected guy, I think he wears that like a badge of honor. And I think that's going to rub off on his team. Maybe it's just me. Time for today's top ten list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. I heard from Blair yesterday. Let me read you his text. How about that? Hey, I just got to clear to close on a boneyard loan and approve the boneyard uh, application for a pre-qualification yesterday. How about that? How about that? I said, hey, I'm glad it's working out. He goes, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Blair's getting things done, guys. I mean, I don't, I don't work with people from an advertising standpoint that I don't believe in. I, I, my relationship with you means more to me than just come out here and just say, hey, here's the deal, you know. Here's the deal. Now, Blair's getting things done. That guy's closed a bunch of boneyard loans. Give him a call or a text today at 601-500-2344. I'll share with you guys before. This new law about 18-year-olds being able to, uh, to sign on a mortgage provided they have a co-signer, that may be a good plan for you. And maybe something you never even thought about because you didn't think it was possible. Blair can help you walk through that process. Or maybe you're just looking to buy a home for yourself. You know, uh, Blair can help you with that too. And maybe you're a person in the past that's been turned down. It might not be because, you know, maybe you're challenged, but also too, maybe you just picked the wrong loan officer. Right? I mean, you know how it is. You get so excited and everything else. Let Blair get you pre-qualified and say, Here, here's what you can afford. So you're not wasting your time or the real estate agent's time looking at homes you're not going to be able to, to afford. Get pre-qualified. That's the way to go. Get pre-qualified because you know what? You may qualify for more than you realize. Don't sell yourself short. Work with Blair, a true mortgage professional. Close at Blair.com. Be sure you told him you heard about him on the boneyard. Let's keep all this in the family, right? All right. Uh, so we're going to do modern rock today. Ian has, uh, has not provided me with any other list, and I haven't pushed him. He's packing up. It's a little melancholy around here. You know how it is when you're a kid. I mean, when I went off to college, I could not wait to leave home. I couldn't wait. And that's not a reflection of my parents, but I couldn't wait. I was ready to get, you know, kind of get out, get out of Columbia, Mississippi, and kind of get started and do something different, you know. And uh, I spent that summer before I went to school in Canton and uh, with my dad. And uh, I was just ready, ready for the next phase of my life. I think Ian is a little bit, you know, kind of, it's bittersweet. You know, he's eager, but, you know, my kid is the kind of guy that likes, he goes, he went to school, then he'd go to work, and he'd come home, plays video games for a while, and he'd go to bed, kind of isolate to himself a little bit. And a uh, great kid, but I'm eager to see how he's going to handle having roommates. He hadn't had other kids in the house for four years now. So that'll be interesting. But the good thing is he lives in Starkville, so he can always just come home if he just needs a night to himself. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he didn't provide me with a list uh, Wednesday or today. 
and uh, I was, you know, jamming some of my favorite stuff today, and I thought, you know what? We have not done Falling in Reverse. You see, but Steve, I don't know them. Well, they've back-to-back years, they've had the rock song of the year without even releasing a new album. And that's the big thing now is you release like a series of singles and then you bunch it up into an album and you release it with all your B-sides and deeper tracks, whatever. Uh, Falling in Reverse is fronted by a guy named Ronnie Radke. It's a guy that's had some uh, addiction issues in the past. I hope he's in recovery. I don't know. He's also a guy that has been incarcerated, and uh, he was on the scene of a bad deal where a friend of his uh, shot and killed somebody. And because he was on the scene and in possession of brass knuckles, he had a violation of probation, went to jail. At the time, he was uh, the lead singer of one of my favorite bands called Escape the Fate. And then Craig Mabbitt, uh, a guy that um, took over. I guess he was from Bless the Fall and then took over with Escape the Fates. When Ronnie got out, started a new band. And eventually he and the guys from Escape the Fate became friends again and they've uh, toured together. But Ronnie Radke is a very much, a very controversial figure in rock music is because a lot of it's because he's so outspoken. And you look at a guy like him who looks a lot like me on steroids, right? I don't, and I don't mean muscular-wise. I'm just saying that he's a guy that uh, definitely has that alternative look. But Ronnie's not a guy that's scared to speak his mind. And uh, you know, he said some things recently that uh, kind of drew him uh, into criticism. And, and uh, here's my thing about that. I think, you know, the the First Amendment is to protect speech like that, right? It's not, not to, to be hurtful of other people, but the First Amendment was not created to protect regular speech. It was, it was created to protect controversial speech, and sometimes we forget that. And I respect anybody's ability to say whatever they want to say. you got to be able to deal with the consequences. But I don't think anybody anywhere should censor you from what you have to say, provided you don't use a ton of profanity. You know, sometimes I know you got to use profanity to prove a point or to exclamate your emotion. But I thought, you know what, <clears throat> we'll, do the, uh, we'll do the Ronnie Radke thing today. We'll do Fall in Reverse. So let's get to it. Top 10 Fallen Reverse songs. They've got four albums and uh, a song that nearly made the list. Because I get that sometimes too, like when, when there's a, a band that people really like. So, well, Steve, what nearly missed? A lot of times I give them honorable mentions. Um, I, I, the Drug in Me is You. That's one that nearly made the list. And I changed it late. But uh, let's go to number 10, a great song called Just Like You. And it's basically, it's kind of like flipping the script. It's kind of like the whole First Amendment thing. It's like, yeah, you may say I'm a jerk or a butthole or whatever, and you say I'm this and I'm that and I'm trash, but you know what? I'm just like you. Interesting, interesting track. Number nine off the second album, a track called Fashionably Late. It's a relationship song, and that's one thing, too. Like, the early stages of this band, and I mean this to be descriptive, not to be critical. Because a lot of times people, you know, they, nowadays people take a snippet of what you say and say, well, this is what they said. I think the early stages of Falling in Reverse, they were kind of like Fallout Boy with an edge. And what I mean by that is, is like the tempo and the tracks themselves were a little more radio rock friendly. Like you could, you think you could hear them on 
regular terrestrial radio. But as this band has matured, and Ronnie Radke has, you know, kind of elevated his game as a songwriter, they've gotten a little bit darker. But the song Fashionably Late has kind of got a poppy vibe to it. But I dig it. I think you will, too. Number eight, great track, I'm Not a Vampire. It should kind of go without saying for most of us, but when you see Ronnie Radke, you think, you know, is that guy for real? Yeah, he is. He's a real dude. But uh, I'm Not a Vampire is kind of along those lines. Number seven, a great track. Really dig this one a lot. Uh, Could have made it a case to move it up. Uh, Lead track on the album Coming Home. And uh, it's one of those albums, too, that, uh, you know, you you begin to work through all that, you know, the Coming Home album. And um, that was album number four. And again, that's the, uh, I almost went with Loser here, the song Loser, if you're familiar with these guys. But Coming Home, I think, is a little bit different than everything else we have on the list. But, um, you know, Ronnie's one of those kinds of people that just kind of says it how it is. And, And this album, just three years removed, debuted at number 15 on the Billboard Top Album Sales Chart. Debut. And not a lot of people are buying CDs these days. Everybody's streaming these days and uh, ripping everybody off. Number six, Raised by Wolves. It fits. You know, and it's, again, basically kind of a song about being irreverent. I'm going to be me. You know, and there's a reason that I am who I am and why I am. I've kind of adapted to, to my surroundings because I was raised by wolves. Number five, now I put these together uh, for a reason. And uh, I wanted to kind of share this with you, just, just to kind of explain a little bit here. When you listen to this, I kind of want you to be able to listen to these in order. Because these songs, it's kind of like when we did the Stone Sour thing where you had Gone Sovereign and Absolute Zero. So I wanted to pair them up on the list kind of in order uh, for that very reason. But... It starts, now your number five song is the great track, Losing My Mind. And then we follow that up with the number four song, Losing My Life. And it basically, the protagonist in the song, things are going wrong. He's going crazy, doesn't feel like I can figure this thing out, what's happening in my life. And then ultimately, the problems begin to worsen. And um, it's one of those deals, too, when you, um, when you hear it, maybe back-to-back like that, I think it makes the song a little more impactful. You may see it differently, but I think it's uh, one of those songs. I I don't know that you can listen to one without the other. And that's just my my take on it, but that's how I feel about it. So number five and number four, again, kind of working together as a tandem, losing my mind and losing my life. Number three, this this song here is just one of those songs that kind of came out of nowhere and really brought the band some notoriety. I don't think they're ever going to be considered, you know, a radio favorite. I, I just don't. But back in January, they released a track called Watch the World Burn, and it's kind of got like a shout-out to Drake in it, you know, about you know, about enemies, you know, I got enemies, you know. Uh, there's a little bit of that vibe to it, but this is a rock song. It's the first single the band's ever released to make the Billboard Hot 100. Not just the rock chart, the the regular Billboard Hot 100. Pretty incredible. And uh, their most recent single is a song that you may know. It's a cover of the Papa Roach classic, Last Resort. And uh, I've always 
I've never taken the time to read the lyrics, and I've sung the lyrics a million times. Last Resort from Papa Roach is not a protest song. It's not a song of rebellion. And when you hear this new arrangement from Falling in Reverse, and this is not on our list. I'm just, this is like a bonus track for you. And maybe we'll get Roy to put it on the, on the list for you. But their cover of Last Resort, they change the arrangement, they change the tempo, and it is basically a cry for help. That's what it is. The song basically, in many respects, is almost like a suicide note. And I think recording it this way and changing the composition really allows Jacoby Shattuck's lyrics to ring true. And that's not to give me, be depressive, but there are a lot of people in our society and people that we encounter all the time that are fighting a battle that we're unaware of. We hear that all the time, and it sounds so cliche, but how many times do you hear the words, you know, somebody will kill themselves unexpectedly, and you're like, man, I wish I'd have known, you know. Uh, that's typically what happens. People are shocked, and they're, in, you know, in somewhat of despair because they, I, I wish this person would have shared this with me. And there are a lot of people out there, and again, I deal with addicts and alcoholics regularly, many of them are people that I don't even know that I'll never meet face to face, just people that are online that have found me one way or another. But, you know, I do the recovery randoms and things like that on Facebook, and I've had people from all over the country that have reached out because somebody has shared those with them, and it means a lot to me. But a lot of these people share things, and they're scared of being judged. They're scared of reaching out to their family to let them know they're struggling. And they're scared to let people know that, that hey, this thing has a grip on me. And whether it be depression, whether it be an eating disorder, uh, whether it be you know, some gender or sexuality issues, maybe it's an abuse situation or they're in a toxic relationship, people are afraid to ask for help. They are. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, I, I had a, uh, a friend of mine that, um, that I met in Starkville, as a matter of fact, and uh, you know, he's really involved with church, and, and uh, he went to an AA meeting with me one day and just kind of sat there and observed. It was an open meeting. I mean, there are open meetings. You know, you can go sit and observe or whatever, but uh, he went and sat in a meeting, and he goes, man, I wish church was like this. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, I wish people could sit around and really talk about their problems and get feedback from other people. He goes, I wish church was like this. He goes, man, he goes, I want my small group at church to be like this. Instead of us just coming in and reading a lesson and everybody hugging each other and us taking up a collection for the mission missionaries, I wish we could do some real work. And I was very convicted by that. I thought, you know what, he's exactly right. Why, why isn't life like this? Why, why are we not in a situation where we can't confide in each other and say, man, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And I know for me, when I first got into recovery, I, I, just, I didn't want to admit weak, weakness. That's how I saw it. It's like I did not want to, like the first step of, of the 12 steps talks about, you know, admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and drugs. I just wasn't ready to do that. To admit that this thing had beaten me, that this thing had just wrecked my life. And then you, you look at the, you know, the wreckage of your life through the eyes and lens of sobriety, and you're like, holy smokes. You know, they, it's amazing what happened when I stopped drinking and using, and things got better, and I started communicating with people. And so, I shared that little aside with you because I think it's important. I don't care who you are or where you're from. I don't care who you cheer for. I don't care what your drug of choice is. I don't care what you've dealt with in life. Before you do anything, reach out to somebody. And you know what? 988 is a free phone call on your phone. Anonymity guaranteed. Hit 988, and if you are thinking about hurting yourself or somebody else, 
dial that number. Get by yourself and just call. And uh, one of the best things we've ever done as a country is to set up that, that on your phone. It's a free call. And um, there's just so many people out there, man, and it's overwhelming at times, to be honest with you. They're like, sometimes I'll go speak in, in some of the rooms, and uh, when it's all over with, I have people that come up, and it's like, it's, it's amazing the things that people are living with and dealing with. And, and I've been in that position before, too. You know, I mean, I'm a suicide survivor. I understand what it's like to, to have nothing left to lose. I understand that. Uh, but I share that with you because it's important. We want you here on this side of the grass. And there may be some people that have experienced some consequences because of your actions. I can tell you, uh, as a guy that did that and basically ostracized everybody in my family, I can tell you that the road home can be repaired. It's going to take some time and some effort. It truly is. But it's not hopeless. No matter what you tell yourself, it's not hopeless. And I got somebody in my family that I love, 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 love. Not my immediate family. I love everybody in my family. But my point being is I've had somebody in my family that has had some issues related to substance abuse over the last couple of years. And, and we've been estranged uh, for the better part of a year. Hadn't that, really hadn't had any communication. You know, you send the text and they read it. They don't respond. And, you know, after three or four texts over the course of a month's time, it's like, hey, I'll call you when I fill up to it. And then they don't. Now, all of a sudden... We began to open up the lines of communication. And, and I'm sure one of the things that that person thought is, you know what, well, it's been so long, Steve's going to be upset with me or Steve's going to fuss at me or Steve's going to be my dad or whatever. And uh, instead, I just, I just said, hey, man, I love you. I do. I love you. I'm, I'm glad we're talking again. And the people in your life you've pushed away, they feel the same way. They may not be able to trust you yet, but they don't want to lose you. No matter what you tell yourself, don't ever, 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 ever buy into this whole thing about, well, everybody else would be better off without me. Don't ever buy into that. That's a little voice in your head. That's evil, man. It is. That's evil. But anyway, I preached enough. We'll uh, pass off and plate and we'll uh, have the ushers come and we'll sing just as I am. But uh, all that said, I just felt led to say that today because when I hear that song, it just... It brings tears to my eyes because I have felt that way. And to think that there are other people out there that feel that way. You know, I'm on the other side of this thing where life is not as fragile. But the reality of it is there are many people out there. And I would submit to you probably more people than ever suffering with some form of, of mental illness, whether it be depression, uh, you know, lack of self-esteem or whatever, addiction issues, because we have basically glamorized and normalized the use of narcotics within our society. And then we're, all, then we're surprised the shape we're in. It's, it's absolute insanity. All right, but number two, rock song of the year last year. And uh, now listen, some of the language in some of these tracks is not meant for church. I'm just going to tell you now. But number two is voices in my head. Number two, voices in my head. Absolutely love this track, man. And uh, again, it kind of goes along with this whole depression thing. Um, you know, please don't make this last forever. And I can tell you, the moment will pass if we let it. And that's kind of what the song is about. Number one, though, this was also the song of the year. I think it was for 2021. Um, it may have been 2020. But it was, they've had two songs of the year. It's a track called Popular Monster. And uh, I would say the first half of the song describes how I have felt various times in my life to a T. Now, there's some other things in this song that don't necessarily apply to me. But a great song called Popular Monster. 
and I love it. It's one of those thong- songs with just so much aggression in it, and uh, you can turn it up and grit your teeth and just kind of get it all out. That's music is so therapeutic for me, and I hope that you have those moments yourself. It doesn't matter if it's country or gospel or rock or rap or R&B or classical music, whatever, that you can be along with your thoughts and put on some music that matches your mood and maybe helps you through something. This is one of those songs. You know, it talks about, you know, everybody keeps telling me it's a phase. It's not a phase. I just want to be okay. There's so many people that deal with that. There's so many people that just are not okay today. And I think it's, again, it's a cliche. we got to be okay with being okay. It's not okay to not be okay. It's okay to admit you're not okay. But let's not stay in that spot. Let's take some steps to get you in a situation where you can be okay. Let's don't normalize not being okay. That's not to say we're gonna, not going to have bad days or whatever. But it's like everybody's like, well, let's just kind of let them be. Guys, I'm in the business of saving lives. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything I can to help as many people as I can recover from chemical dependency and depression and suicidal thoughts and alcoholism. I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. Because if people had just looked at me and said, well, you know, Steve's a hopeless case, man. Let's go buy some flowers, you know, send them to his mom or whatever. I'd be dead today. I like, and I wrote this in the book, and uh, people ask me all the time, you know, about my time with addiction. And I'm still an addict. I just, I'm not a practicing addict, right? But basically, I set my own house on fire. And then all, when the flames and the smoke began to overtake me, I couldn't find a way out. And I was content to lay there and die in the blaze. And somebody else kicked the door in and helped me find my way out. And that's how it is for everybody. But this whole thing of, well, you know, it's okay. You know, it's not okay. How many people have to die? How many people have to live and, and see their lives fall apart due to our own inaction? Because our own, we're unwilling to get involved. Well, but Steve, they got to have help. They got to, they got to want help. Well, I can tell you, they do. I can tell you, when I was out there, man, I was dying to live. I just didn't know how. That's one of the things that I wrote, too, is like, I, it's been a long time since I've been scared to die, which, um, you know, it's probably one of those things that's not healthy, you know, but I'm not scared to die. I'm not. But there were times in my life I was scared to live. And I think that's one of the most profound truths that I've learned in recovery is we got to be okay living. You know, dying sometimes is the easier way out. But what are we going to do for the people we love if we live? You know, the whole part of all this, and, and this is where, you know, I, I may lose some listeners from this and lose some friends or whatever, but I'm going to say what's on my heart, and, I'm gonna, and we're going to get back to football. Um, but I don't know. I just feel led to say this. Selfishness is killing our society. It absolutely is. We've become so self-absorbed and so incredibly selfish that we don't think about helping somebody else. We have normalized that aspect of our lives. Well, you know, self-care, self-care. What about care for others? Because a lot of people that I know that prioritize self-care don't do anything for anybody else. Well, you got to take care of you first. You know, that's, that's truth. I mean, you know, if you're on an airplane, they tell you to put your own mask on, your oxygen mask on first. If the cabin loses pressure, it's the same thing in crisis, right? You got to take care of yourself first. But you don't stop there. You got to help somebody else. 
That's what life's about. We're trying to live in a society here. If not, you can go out there and just go live in the jungle or whatever, or you live on a deserted island and just take care of yourself all the time. That's not a world that I want to live in. You know, love is everything. Love is absolutely everything. And you know what? When you give it, you get it back. It may not be from all the sources you want it to be from. You'd be surprised where it comes from. But, um, you know, I, when I am in, at my best is when I am not putting myself first. That's not to say that, you know, in certain situations I have to put myself first. But I can't live every single day always thinking about, well, what can I go get for Steve? What is best for Steve? What's best for me? You know, how, how, do, how do those people stay married? How do you become a parent and maintain that same level of mentality? Guys, I'll tell you this. Within my family, I prioritize myself last. That's not to say that I don't buy myself every once in a while or treat myself to something. I do. But when I signed up to be husband and dad, that meant that I was going to put my wife and children ahead of me. The society will tell you different today. And I'm here to tell you they're wrong. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a stark billion institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too, if you don't already. Campus Bookmart, a great place to do business, a great family running a great business for a great fan base right here in Starkville, Mississippi. Now, I'm a firm believer we should support Starkville businesses. We should defend them with our lives. It's a great place. It's a great place to do business. Go by and see their smiling faces next time you're in town and peruse their fine selections of Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps game day is a difficult day for you, then uh, shop online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Dot net promo code BSR. All right, let's take a quick look at the Kentucky Wildcats, and then we're going to get to some uh, some other crazy stuff that's going on around college athletics. Uh, pretty nuts what's happening out in the Pac-12. We'll touch on that here shortly. But uh, the reality of it is, is that you know we're going to play Kentucky again this year. I don't know how you guys feel about that that series. They've had our number up there, but we've had their number down here. But it's interesting. Like, I read some of this stuff, and they talk about, hey, you know, the Kentucky offense is going to be better. How can they be better? They had the greatest quarterback in the history of the game last year in Will Levis. That's what we were told last year. He's going to be the first pick in the draft, and he wasn't. They bring in Devin Leary from NC State. Should be a good, you know, good competitor there. And uh, expected to be one of the better passing attacks and more balanced attack this year. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things go. But the reality of it is, is that, I don't think Kentucky's very good. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're great. I don't even think they're really good. And I think they're a team that is going to have to manage games to kind of make uh, this thing competitive. And they've lost some things on defense that, uh, you know, I think are important pieces. But, you know, they, they didn't live up to expectations last year, and the expectations last year weren't fair. They weren't realistic. You know, Liam Cohen is back as the offensive coordinator. And, and uh, again, it was first year with a new offense. You say, well, okay, I kind of get that. But when you've got an NFL guy as your quarterback, you're expected to score points. They didn't. That's the thing that's just amazing to me. You go back and look at this, 
you know, the year of last, you know, last year's, uh, you know, schedule. You know, let's run through that real quick here before we kind of preview the season. It was not a good year. I, I don't care what they say or, or who they try to convince. It wasn't a good year. And when you think about what they had and what the expectations were, and, and it, was, it was known pretty early they weren't going to be great offensively. They beat Miami, Ohio, 37-13. They beat Florida 26-16. That was a bit of a surprise. They go to Swamp, win that game, give them credit. They get Youngstown State 31-0, and they eke by Northern Illinois 31-23. One great. And then they go to Ole Miss and should have won the game. But give Ole Miss credit. When the game was on the line, the Ole Miss defense rose up and forced a Will Levis fumble. They recovered. The game is over. And Ole Miss wins 22-19. The next week, Kentucky hosts South Carolina without Will Levis at quarterback because he got banged up against Ole Miss. And the Gamecocks win 24-14. The next week, uh, they get us 27-17. Terrible game. We didn't play well at all. That game was still ours in the fourth quarter, and we blew it. Couldn't stop the run. Not having Jaden Crumity hurt us. Then they get Tennessee, and Tennessee shells them 44-6. They eke by Missouri, 21-17. They lose to Vanderbilt and Mike Wright, 24-21. And then they gave Georgia all they wanted and then some, but Georgia wins 16-6. And then they beat Louisville 26-13 in the the rivalry game. And then they go play Iowa with many of their stars sitting out the game, and they lose 21-0. Got absolutely nothing done in that ballgame. But you start doing the math here. I mean, it's a 7-5 and five regular season when you supposedly have the top quarterback in college football. What does that say about your organization when you've got that level of talent, and even though we all agree he was overhyped, that you win seven, seven games and very easily could have had a losing season? Let's just call it for what it is. You know, Kentucky is basically our contemporary in the East. And I submit to you, we're a better program. Maybe not by much, but we are. It's going to be a much different deal this year. And they do have a very young uh, receiving core they're very excited about, and rightfully so. They should be. You know, we'll see what happens with uh, Barry and Brown. You know, that guy's a stud. He is. McKenna gave him the football. You know, we'll see. I don't know they're going to be able to stretch the field like they did last year, even though that, uh, you know, things weren't great last year. Uh, Leary did not go through spring practice. And so that's something to consider too. But, uh, you know, when you think Barry and Brown and Dane Key, uh, those guys are going to be able to be a very talented group. They, they're going to be able to get open. And because of the fact that they should be able to run the football – they should see a lot of man coverage. They uh, they go out and get Ray Davis from Vanderbilt is the uh, the heir apparent, I guess, uh, to be the running back, to be the the, the running back of of, uh, of preference there. They were terrible last year in pass protection, and some of that's because Will Levis was a statue back there with that bad ankle. The mobility that he normally had really wasn't there. But um, they went out and they went in the portal 
kind of rebuilt the line. So they're expected to be better. Uh, went out and, and really got the portal hard to kind of, you know, make some things up. But, uh, you know, they're not a cohesive unit yet. Some of these guys were in the portal in the summer months, and they will, they're will they in camp now. So, you know, we'll see how things go. But defensively, I mean, Kentucky's a team that wants to run the football and stop the run. They lost basically half of their defense last year. And everybody's like, oh, there's a new guy. Guys, here's the deal. When you're a team like Kentucky that doesn't recruit at the level of your SEC East peers, you reach the end of a town cycle. Like DeAndre Square, an absolute monster for Kentucky. And he's had some big games against that's where he's gone. Former Ole Miss Rebel Jacquez Jones, a guy that uh, privately committed to Mississippi State that announced for Ole Miss, uh, had a decent run at Ole Miss, left and went to Kentucky. It was, it was pretty good there, too. And we'll see. J.J. Weaver's got to be a stud for them, for sure. Got to be. Got to be. But this is a defense, again, you know, again, as long as uh, there's some continuity on that staff, they're going to be good defensively. They got to come down here. But, uh, you know, that, that secondary last year was not good. Was not good. And uh, they went out again and went to the portal trying to uh, fill some of these holes. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I don't think it's a great year. Again, I think, you know, seven and five is probably about what they should expect. And let's take a quick look at the schedule. They open up at home against Ball State. That should be a W. They host Eastern Kentucky. That should be a W. And then Akron. Joe Moorhead heading in there on September 16th for an evening game on ESPNU. Akron shouldn't be able to compete with Kentucky. You know, Joe's gone up there and seen what it's like to go play in Lexington. And uh, the officiating when he went back in 18 was horrendous. I just don't think Joe's got the horses. But we'll see. And then they're playing at Vanderbilt. That's a very important game. You know, Kentucky should be 3-0. and I think we can all agree. I mean, their non-conference schedule leaves a lot to be desired. But they should be 3-0 and heading to Vanderbilt. And as we sit here today, that's a toss-up game. Now, Kentucky should be able to out-athlete out Vanderbilt. That should have been the case last year, but they weren't. Then they host Florida, a team they beat last year. And I, hit, sitting here today, I would say Florida should be able to out-athlete out them. But, you know, Florida – We've talked about them here in recent weeks. I mean, they're, they're a team, too, that's not exactly setting the woods on fire from a talent standpoint. So you look at this and say, you know what, they should be 4-1 and one and possibly 5-0 and oh going to Georgia. Well, that's a loss. Then you host Missouri. That's a toss-up game. You host Tennessee. That's a loss. You travel to Mississippi State. That's a loss. You host Alabama for the first time in forever. That's a loss. Then you got to go to South Carolina and Louisville. And so, yeah, are they a bowl team? Yes, they are. But I think they're, again, they're probably a Music City type team. I think that's how we look at it. You know, I don't think this is a team that you're going to look at and they're going to, you know, really move the needle. But, again, you look at the non-conference schedule, you know, Louisville, they got to go on the road and play that game. Uh, How good will Louisville be this year? I don't know. That, That may be the difference between a Florida bowl game and a Tennessee bowl game. It may boil down to that. I think that you know, if we're looking and being fair about that, you know, that's just one of those things you look at and say, it may boil down to that. I mean, I think they're both eligible without it. But, you know, when you look at that, you know, Louisville team last year that they, that they beat 26-13, that wasn't a bad Louisville team. 
you know, they ended up the year, you know, basically with the same record, exactly the same record, seven and five. What's Louisville going to look like this year? Don't know. But the game's at home. And I think by the end of the year, uh, depending on the shape Spencer Rattler's in, you'd probably favor South Carolina. So, again, running through here, let's, let's call it three and one in a non-conference. And then you start running through these numbers here. Probably, probably at best, a split in the eight SEC games. But there are some sheer losses on this schedule, and so they're going to have to basically win some toss-up games to get to 500 in the league. This could be a six and six team, could be seven and five. I think with some luck, maybe they get to eight and four. But let's pick at seven and five because uh, I think Tennessee, Mississippi State, Alabama, and Georgia are all going to get them. And then you've got that uh, that trip to South Carolina, which you know by that time of the year, I think Shane Beamer and the crew will know exactly what they have. And listen. You lose Chris Rodriguez as a running back, you don't get better. I, I, I don't care if you went in the portal and got three running backs. Chris Rodriguez was a great player. Uh, so uh, that's how I see Kentucky. And you guys know I, I get so tired every year of them being a media darling when uh, they have benefited from playing. A down, you know, Tennessee was down the, much of the last few years. South Carolina's been down. You get Vanderbilt, Missouri. So most years you had four built-in wins right there. And then you schedule smart in a non-conference where you're in a bowl game every year. You're at least seven and five most years. I think that's an important thing to understand. And now all of a sudden, Tennessee's getting better, South Carolina's getting better, and now all of a sudden, Kentucky's getting worse. I, I, don't, I think Kentucky's just kind of who they are. It's just a quality competition. Well, then their, their league has gotten better. But it's been an interesting run for Mark Stoops. It really has been. And they're ready to build a statue up there. But I, yeah, it's like, but I don't understand why, why some people picked them to do so well. I just, I don't see it. You know, and they were very patient with them. Uh, you know, Mitch and those guys up there, you know, they went four consecutive years, or excuse me, three straight years with losing records under Stoops. It wasn't until year four that they made a bowl game. Went seven and five in 2016. And you recall, that's the year that they uh, beat us thanks to Peter Sermon on that last second field goal. We lost three games in 16 on the last play of the game. Did you know that? Our, our three games, yeah, three games that came down to one play. It's, it's nuts. The last play of the game. But they were a 7-5 team and, and finally, you know, get to a ball game and then lose it. The next year, 7-5, get to a ball game, lose it. Finally, in 2018, they break through and some big things happen. And that's the year we went up there and we didn't play well. It's a Jim Moorhead year. They finished the year ranked 11th in the country. But it, it took, you start working through this and you think, man, it took six seasons to have a good year. The next year was a step back, seven and five in a regular season. 2020, four and six in a regular season. 2021, another decent year, nine and three. And then last year, Seven and five. And so th that's who they are. Kentucky is a seven and five team. The outliers are these nine and ten win years. They only had, only had two of them uh, in the last decade or so. But the reality of it is, is that's been the product of the fact that the, because the SEC East has been down. Now all of a sudden you pick up Alabama, instead of playing Ole Miss or instead of playing, um, you know, Arkansas or somebody like that, you know, the price of poker goes up. So let's pick them seven and five again because that's who they are. Uh, with a loss to Mississippi State.
All right, but before we get out of here, we got to address this Pac-12 nonsense. It's like we go through this every summer, it seems, and why are we doing all this in August? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because of the fact the Pac-12 finally, finally proposed a TV deal through Apple TV, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's absolute insanity uh, when you start running this thing down. You know, they, they were going to get next to nothing, and a lot of it was based on subscriptions. You know, we've, we've got to deal with ESPN. Well, everybody has ESPN, it seems. And so we're going to get paid no matter how many people sign up for ESPN+. Plus. That's important to understand. But, you know, looking at some of these numbers here, the, um, the ACC – which is uh, where Florida State is. You know, Florida State's looking around here and realizing they're you know, – Florida State used to be a national power. And you want to know, well, what's the difference? What's the TV money? Things have changed. And the ACC is not what it once was. They have a 20-year deal with ESPN that runs through 2036, and the schools get about $17 million. That's, that's a lot of money, Steve. No, it's not. It's not a lot of money. And you look, especially when you look at what's happening now with this new Big Ten deal, it's not a lot of money. And Florida State now getting about half of what uh, their SEC peers are doing. But that's what has kind of led to this impetus here is you see the big, the big TV deal the SEC got and the, the ton of money that we're all getting – uh, which is absolute insanity. Uh, I, the last time I looked at this, it's been a little while here. I mean, but the SEC uh, SEC deal is crazy. You know, the ten-year contract worth more than three hundred million dollars. You start running the, all that together. <laughs> um, each of our schools get number forty-four million dollars. Florida State, and again, these numbers are a year or two old. Florida State's getting seventeen. We're getting forty-four. Think about that. Mississippi State's getting that much more money to work. And so you can see why Florida State's upset. They say, hey, we're going to leave. And maybe they go to the Big 12. I don't know. Big 12's deal, uh, their new deal is going to be a little more lucrative uh, than what they've had. You know, but uh, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, you know, the, their partners have a better deal. Uh, that deal's you know, running out. I don't know if they've negotiated an extension here recently, but – but the reason we're talking about that now is because of the fact that the Pac-12 finally sat down and said, hey, here's what we're looking at, uh, you know, from a TV deal. And people are like, that is not nearly enough. And so now, uh, as we recorded this show, Oregon and Washington both expected to join the Big Ten. And um, the Pac-12 deal was $20 million a school. $20 million. And now Washington State and teams like that, this deal is going to fall apart because you don't have, you know, the, you don't have Oregon or Washington in the package. And so, so what happens now? There's talk about Arizona making a move. There's talk about Arizona State making a move. And I think Arizona and Arizona State in the Big 12 makes, makes good sense. I think Arizona and Arizona State are more like Big 12 schools than they are to Pac-12, to be quite honest with you. But the dominoes begin to fall when USC and UCLA left. And I think Mike Nemeth makes a good point. If you're, the, if you're the Big Ten, you could have a nice little division out west 
when you start running that out there. You start thinking, hey, okay, we'll, we'll have our Western teams play each other, and then we'll all trade a trip with some of the teams in the East. It makes perfect sense. But uh, now it's kind of like a chess move. Now, what, what will Greg Sankey and the SEC do? Well, you know, we're not going to do anything that doesn't make sense. Do we bring in Florida State? I wouldn't be opposed to that. I just don't know what they bring to the table. You say, but Steve, it's more TV sets. It doesn't mean anything anymore. That doesn't mean anything because now that every game is available online or through an app or through, you know, your direct TV or Dish Network package, it's not like it used to be. It's like, well, you know, we're in all these new TV sets now. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is it allows the network to negotiate a, a more lucrative deal for itself. But we're already in those TV sets around Tallahassee as a league. You're not adding a new market. So when you look at it strictly from an advertising standpoint, uh, Gainesville's just down the road from Tallahassee. And so, nah, you don't really gain a whole lot from that. You know, do we go get Clemson? You know, uh, I don't know that that makes sense for Clemson. It's certainly, you know, from, from a financial standpoint, I'm sure Clemson and Florida State are thinking, hey, we're expected to get out here and compete in an arms race facility-wise, and the people we're competing against are getting more than double the money we are. Did you ever think you'd be in a situation where Mississippi State has a more lucrative TV deal than Florida State or Clemson? Well, that's where you are. And that's what's driving every bit of this. It's all about TV money. And it's not about you or me or the fan experience. It's about budgets. And you know who pays for that? Me and you. Whether it be in ticket sales or whatever. Or the subscriptions, you know. I mean, we are funding this, and so it's insanity to see what's happening. And uh, but it seems like every summer we go through this. You know, you remember years ago the Pac-12 was about to become the Pac-16. They were going to add Texas and Oklahoma, among others, and that all fell apart. And you look at Colorado to kind of show how bad the Pac-12 situation is. Colorado leaves the Big 12 for the Pac-12. Now they're going back to the Big 12. How bad is that? And so you start looking at the numbers here. Here is who is in the Pac-12 right now. Right now. Arizona, Arizona State, Cal Berkeley, UCLA, Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, Southern Cal, Stanford, Utah, Washington, and Washington State. Now, as it stands now, UCLA, USC, and Colorado have all announced they're leaving. Oregon just announced. So that's four of the teams that are leaving. It's insanity. And so now you begin to think, well, what's best for us as an institution if you're Arizona and Arizona State? Well, yeah, we could probably win the Pac-12, but we wouldn't make any money. So what does the Pac-12 do? There were some discussions before about maybe they'll add Boise State. Maybe they'll add San Diego State. I, I think what we're seeing happen here is college football go from the Power Five to the Power Four. Because the Pac-12 is the weak sister in this group. And so there's all this talk about, well, there'll be a super conference or whatever. I think the fact that more of these schools are going to the Big Ten is evidence that that probably won't happen. I think the Big Ten's trying to monopolize as much money as they can that's not related to the SEC to compete with the Southeastern Conference. I don't see a situation where we merge with them. I think that whole thing is silly anyway. But I do think what's happening here is 
by the Big Ten getting the Western power brokers out there, I, I think it puts the NCAA kind of on notice because now you've got the SEC and the Big Ten that can essentially act independently. What if the SEC and the Big Ten just signed the deal and said, hey, we'll go with the Big 12 and whatever, and, and we'll all just secede from the NCAA? You know, that may happen, but I don't think it's ever going to be the super conference some people are expect, expecting it to be. But the Pac-12 is imploding before our eyes. Washington State's come out with a statement here shortly, uh, recently ago. Washington State, of course, the lowest budget in Power Five. And now all of a sudden, Washington, their in-state rival, is leaving. Oregon is now leaving. Those two are you know, much bigger brands. USC, UCLA leaving, Colorado leaving. What does the Pac-12 have to sell? And then there's talk about Arizona and Arizona State maybe leaving too. So what do you do? Do you go raid the Mountain West? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, you know, the Pac-12, I guess it was Andy Staples that tweeted out, uh, there was a video in 18 about how they felt they were in the best position to kind of capitalize on the new streaming world and kind of do some things that were innovative to put themselves in a more lucrative position. And now here we are, now that that deal has been rolled out, and people are like, are you kidding me? This is the deal you've offered us? We're out of here. And the fact that it's happened so quickly tells me, obviously, the, the wheels have been in motion for these exits for a while. But it's, it's incredible to look at this, but this is not the first time it's happened. People, I'm old enough to remember uh, the old Southwest Conference. You know, a lot of people thought that was the best brand of football in the country. You know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, basically the, you know, that, the winner of that conference – you know, played for a NAFL championship a lot of times. It was a big deal. You know, Oklahoma or Miami uh, or Nebraska played Miami, you know, for a NAFL championship. It was very difficult for the SEC to kind of get our way into that mix outside of Bear Bryant. We just didn't. But now here we are, and it's history in the making. And it's so funny, too, to read, you know, these comments and people that, you know, said this wasn't going to happen, it wasn't going to happen. And it's just proof positive, again, that things always change. What you knew yesterday may not be true today. It's important to understand that. But there's just so much happening now in the world of college football uh, with expansion and realignment and things of that nature. And I just don't see how the Pac-12 survives this. I mean, surely you know, programs like San Diego State would love to be in the Pac-12. It's a step up for them. And, uh, of course, with Snapdragon Stadium and you know, things of that nature, it's, you know, maybe it's a sign they're moving up. And so while it's a step up for them, they don't have, you know, the name brand that the teams they're replacing do. So it doesn't move the needle. So in turn, this TV package with Apple is about to lose some money. Simple as that. Now, there's the novelty of the whole thing. Again, for San Diego State, it's a step up. But Washington State, it's like you're just far farther and farther behind. It'd be interesting to see what Mike Leach would have to say about all this. It really would be. And it is so different, you're not having a coach out there these days. But, uh, but all that said, uh, keep an eye on all this. Ross Dellinger, of course, breaking a lot of this news, as is uh, Dennis Dobbs from CBS, Dan Wetzel uh, from Yahoo. The, 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 the power brokers of college football media all kind of in concert here, kind of learning things. But, uh, again, kind of historic. And it's like you look up and think, man, Oregon's going to be playing at Ohio State one day. The thing that I think about, and I give Dave Murray credit for this, is you know that, that's a long trip, not just for your team, but your fans. And you may do it once, but you're not going to do it every other year. And maybe you don't have to. 
But here's the deal. You still have to send your softball team out there. You still got to send your volleyball team out there. You know, and so while there is some novelty to all that stuff, uh, when you begin to factor in the travel, uh, especially when you factor in this Pac-12 deal, what they proposed, there's not going to be enough money to catch the SEC programs. And you say, well, you know, we're just going to be able to keep pace with our contemporaries. Well, as long as the SEC has the best deal in the country, and then you're out here doing Apple TV, and now you've got nothing to sell, probably a good chance you see a change in leadership in the Pac-12 when all this is said and done. It's phenomenal. What are they now, the Pac-8? You know, I guess technically, or maybe the Pac-7. I guess, yeah, they were the Pac-12, and then all of a sudden Colorado, USC, UCLA, and now Washington, Oregon. So, yeah, now the Pac-7. And who's going to want Washington State? I mean, I think the Pac-12 has got to go out there, and, and you know, maybe Southern Miss ends up uh, – Getting out of the Sun Belt, you know, moving to, to somewhere else. You know, I don't think the Big 12 would want them by any stretch, but, uh, and I don't know that Southern Miss could afford to handle something like that. Sending their teams all the way to the West Coast wouldn't happen. But, you know, and when the dominoes fall, you never know. Something may open up for Southern Miss uh, with their lack of fan support. And I think that's one thing that hurts them. I mean, they, they have some very passionate fans, but the reality of it is, instead of moving the needle, you know, Southern Miss is just kind of an also-ran in college football. I mean, they, they should win the Sun Belt this year, but the reality of it is nobody's going to care outside of that league. It just doesn't do anything nationally. But uh, it's interesting. So, we'll be back on um, – yeah, matter of fact, we'll be back on Tuesday. We're not going to do a Monday show because I'm going to be traveling back Monday night from uh, Tennessee. So, we'll do a Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday schedule next week. And um, I'll record after uh, the Tuesday practice. won't be this late, but uh, we'll get it done for you. Got to get back in the habits. And, again, I got so much going on, trying to get the wife's business stuff straight and getting the kid uh, moved into the dorm, trying to pack up and clean up and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we'll get you taken care of. But uh, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.